With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, I'm here with good friend of the program, Adam Spinella. Spins, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Sam. Uh, life is good, man. It's a long weekend here in the States. Uh, you can't complain about any stuff like that, but I know you and I are really excited for this episode here, getting to talk a little bit, uh, maybe something a little more different than what we've typically done here, but a really fun, fascinating conversation. Yeah, it's like pure off-season content. Isn't it like that? That's what this is, right? It, it's it's uh, talking about the Hall of Fame. This is what it always is. Uh, it's not a long weekend here. Laura is at work today. It's Monday, and she is uh, she's forced, unfortunately, to go into the office. It's a bit of a disappointment for her and for uh, all of us. Australia does not have the long weekend in September, much like you guys do over there. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about the Hall of Fame. It is. Basketball Hall of Fame induction weekend this coming weekend. Uh, the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame has nine people uh, being inducted into the NBA or the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's not just the NBA Hall of Fame. Uh, Manu Ginobili, Tim Hardaway, Bob Huggins, George Carl, Hugh Evans. Uh, and then we've got Lindsey Whalen, Swing Cash, and Marianne Stanley. Uh, just a phenomenal group, and it's really exciting that we're going to get to see all nine of those people get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this upcoming class that is going to be inducted? You know, I don't know if I have too many thoughts as a whole. I think for me, the the one thing that always stands out is just a, a quick story. You know, my experience growing up in New England, being not too far away from Springfield in the Hall of Fame being able to go down there and experience kind of the grandeur of, of what they have set up is, is really fun and fascinating for any basketball fan that hasn't made their way out there would a hundred percent recommend get to Springfield at some point in your life. Cause it's really uh, a cool place to be, but it, you can tell when you're there just visiting the, the grandeur, the, how much it really means to be a part of the hall of fame. And that's always something that stood out to me as when we're having this conversation today or when we talk about who deserves to be a Hall of Famer, not to take it too lightly because it really is a, a hell of an accomplishment and, and it's, it's something worth preserving in some regard of how exclusive of a club it really is to get in there. So hats off to all, all of the new 2022 inductees, uh, many of which I grew up watching. But uh, I think it's it's just worth noting how how special it, it is to really be Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know it's it's crazy. You think about the sheer number of people that play basketball uh, just in the United States, let alone worldwide now. And this class obviously has a real international flavor, uh, with Manu Ginobili being the highest profile uh, men's player to be inducted this year. And you just think about. How many get weeded out by high school? How many get weeded out by college? How many get weeded out 
by getting division one scholarships and then how many uh, get to go forward and play professionally an even smaller percentage of that get to go forward and play professionally in the NBA. And then the low percentage of NBA players that get inducted to the hall of fame, the NBA hall of fame is often considered like the most inclusive hall of fame uh, as opposed to baseball where one to two players get inducted. And that whole process seems like a fucking nightmare uh, in terms of the way that it works out. But in basketball, they induct a lot of great players. And I think that, I would rather have a Hall of Fame that is more inclusive because at the end of the day, it is still such a low percentage and such an incredible accomplishment to be someone that gets a chance to have their name etched in history in Springfield. Yeah, it, it's it's quite an accomplishment. I think in comparison to the other sports, certainly much more inclusive. But uh, as I was doing a lot of research for this and trying to look through you know, players who've made it to the Hall of Fame in the past, what their resume might be to put together to compare to some current day guys. Like everybody's resume who's in there who played in the NBA is incredibly, incredibly impressive. It's it's mind blowing how much each individual has accomplished during their careers, which makes it a lot harder to kind of estimate who the, the guys will be in the future because a lot of times you're waiting for those accolades to, to rack up and it doesn't happen until after, you know, year nine, 10, 11 of somebody's career. Yeah. And this one's always, this one's going to be special to my heart because uh, as a you know smaller white person who grew up playing basketball that has a receding hairline, uh, the number of times I got called Ginobili while playing basketball, uh, you know, even from the time I was, you know, 10 basically uh you know maybe maybe 12 i guess because that's really when his career started to kick into gear 12 13 like it, it's it's ridiculous and i'm so excited for monty ginobili i'm so excited to uh see some of these people get inducted uh you know like swing cash lindsey whalen yeah. like these are players i even grew up watching as well and uh it, it's it's really really exciting really really exciting weekend uh this coming weekend but that's not why we're here we're here to talk about Guys who, uh, you know, played at the end of last season could be signed this season uh, that uh, have Hall of Fame cases. And we're trying to determine how many Hall of Famers are currently playing in the NBA right now. And uh, I think that this is a tremendous era of basketball. I I think that this is uh, inarguably the most talented basketball has ever been uh, right now in this modern era. And I think you can say the same thing 10 years down the road. Uh, I think you'll be able to say the same thing 10 years after that. I I think that as basketball continues to grow and mature and become uh, more internationalized and become, uh, you know, something that more people from more countries play and uh, as training becomes better and better. And as coaching becomes better and more advanced, uh, basketball is just going to keep getting better and better and more skilled. And, and I think we're at the highest level we've ever had basketball right now. And that shows in just the overall uh, breadth of talent that we have to talk about today. I think it's staggering just the amount of players that uh, are going to be discussed here. And there are obviously the no brainers that we'll get into in a second, but there are even just like guys that, I think are absolutely no brainers that, you know, people like to argue against and it's going to be a really fun conversation today. 
It is. It is. And, and I struggle a lot. You know, I try to be as organized and meticulous as possible of how am I going to break this out? How am I going to justify each selection? What litmus test am I looking for? Statistical thresholds to, to kind of cross. And, and I don't know how you've thought about this, Sam, if it's a little bit more subjective in a lot of ways. But for me, it, it, um, I try hard to come up with a formula. You know, what does this player satisfy in order to, to get to the Hall of Fame? And I think today I've learned to take a step back from that and realize it's a lot more nuanced than that. But that's kind of the beauty of this process, right? Basketball, for all the statistics that you have that can indicate a lot about a player, there is something very subjective about you know a certain player's game that you can fall in love with. And I, I think yeah. that absolutely deserves to be brought up in the conversation here. Uh, but it, uh, certainly something I wrestled with is after we decided we were to do this podcast was how am I going to sort through any of this and make a justification for each, each one of these guys or, or not for one of these guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm glad you kind of gave us a baseline with some of the most recent hall of famers that, you know, uh, maybe had to wait a little bit of time to get in. Uh, and I think that there is like a pretty real baseline that we've set at this point for what, what is a hall of famer? What is a hall of famer basically? So let's just kind of dive in. Uh, how do you want to outline this spins? Because you did a quick little thing at the top here of our Google doc where uh, I, I think that you can kind of explain what's going on here. Sure. So, I, I mean, the two kind of disclaimers that I would give off the top are, are basically experience is really key in knowing whether somebody's going to be a Hall of Famer. Anybody with 10 years or more in the league, you pretty much know what their resume is going to be. You've had a lot of time to see them play and, and digest what type of impact they have on the game. Anybody mm-hmm. with six years or fewer, I think it's, it's very much based on production thus far in their careers, that there are enough cases out there of guys who got off to Hall of Fame caliber starts to their career where in years seven through 10 or beyond, it may have dipped a little bit. Injuries can come up and really impact players to the point where what you once thought was a Hall of Fame trajectory, you look back on at the finality of their career and say, no, I, would, I wouldn't vote that guy in. And I think of like a DeMarcus Cousins or, or maybe even Ben Simmons with all that's gone on the last yep. couple of years as guys that, you know, first few years of their career, I was 100% in, talented, producing at a high level yep. right out of the gate, putting the resume with the all-star appearances and all these other accolades. But for some reason, the longevity's not there. So that six to 10 year sweet spot is really when you start to f- turn the corner and figure out whether these guys go from just being great players in a certain period to really putting together a hall of fame type of resume. Um, yeah. I don't know if you feel differently or, or had anything else to add there, Sam. Well, you know, they're, they're the ones that you spot immediately. Like Luka Doncic, I think, could retire and be a Hall of Famer right now, just straight up. Like, I think that if his career ended, you know, in some devastating, unfortunate um, fashion, I think he'd be voted into the Hall of Fame right now. Uh, what we've seen so far is genuine greatness from him. And, you know, I think there are statistical thresholds that I look at, uh, accomplishment thresholds that I look at, and just general like overall greatness. Like we're going to talk about a couple of guys here where there's like a real dichotomy there. Like the, the difference between 
Derek Rose, whose light shone so brightly very quickly uh, versus LaMarcus Aldridge, who had a period of sustained incredible success. Uh, how, how do you kind of place one versus the other uh, within a conversation like this is really interesting to me, but let's just kind of dive in and jump in here. So what we came up with are, we have got, I think just six uh, unbelievable, like incredible. There is no question that these players are getting into the hall of fame in my view. Uh, Obviously, LeBron James is one of them. LeBron James is one of the three best players to ever play basketball, along with Michael Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, something uh, you know along the lines of it will not take more than a second to vote him into the Hall of Fame when yeah. he's eligible. Uh, Kevin Durant is one of the 15 best players of all time, in my opinion. And he is arguably the best pure scorer I've ever seen play basketball. Uh, with the way that he can get to his shots, with the way that, uh, you know, he is so, so effective, you know, multiple time champion, uh, multiple uh, time finals MVP. Uh, you know, we, we can sit here and, you know, parse through the last few years where uh, he, you know, maybe hasn't had the success on a team basis that people want, but if his foot was one inch behind the three-point line, uh, there's a pretty good chance that they win the 2021 NBA title, I think, uh, with Kevin Durant leading the way with the Brooklyn Nets. So Kevin Durant is like a no-brainer. The third one here is Stephen Curry, top 15 player of all time. I think I would probably rank Steph just slightly ahead of Kevin Durant right now, given the team success that he has brought, uh, and frankly, just given the way he's revolutionized basketball uh from a shooting perspective uh, i do think that that matters to me in some way uh let's let's start with those three those are the three like top 15 players of all time uh that are currently playing in the nba right now that like th- i think that their case in that regard is pretty unassailable in my opinion no doubt and, and look i think the top six guys here that we all listed and we'll get to the other three in a moment i think they all have an unassailable case like uh, when i'm trying to construct this, I think about three things, statistical impact, dominance, and, and kind of impact on the game, right? What kind of legacy do you have and leave behind? Have you been able to change the way that the game is played and alter the style for generations to come? And then winning, you know, have you been able to, to cut down nets and win championships and, and be part of something bigger than yourself in a lot of ways? And all three of those guys have done it. NBA champions, MVPs, and, and scoring titles, you know, contenders on a yearly basis and guys that have changed the way basketball is played. LeBron James, a, a freak athlete who ran through the Eastern Conference for the better part of 15 years. Kevin Durant, one of the most skilled you know, guys above 6'10 or 6'11 that the league has ever seen. And Stephen Curry, just go to a middle school basketball game and see what Steph Curry has done to the next generation of basketball. So all three of those guys certainly leaving their impact far beyond just the stats and the rings that they've won. And I'm glad you brought up winning because these next three guys are unfortunately players that have not won a title, but are undeniably great within the history of the NBA. Uh, they are Chris Paul, who has had some playoff foibles in the past, but uh, I really think and hope that the Phoenix run uh, of 2021 to the finals kind of went about changing a few of those things. Uh, he is undeniably one of the best point guards of all time. 
there is James Harden, who has been just less successful in the playoffs than what he is in the regular season, but has been so unequivocally dominant in the regular season, winning an MVP, that I don't really think that you can make a case for him not making the Hall of Fame. And then there is Russell Westbrook, who also has won an MVP, is one of the most productive players of all time, and you know has, again probably been a bit less successful in the playoffs than he has been in the regular season, but his level of dominance in the regular season is so high that I don't really think that you can make a case against uh, Russell Westbrook at this point in his career Uh, in terms of like accolades here, like James Harden has made the all NBA team seven times and been a three time scoring champ. Uh, He is one of the best scorers in NBA history. Russell Westbrook has made all NBA nine times again, has won an MVP much like James Harden and Chris Paul has made all NBA 11 times. He's made the all defense team nine times. He's led the NBA in assists five times. He's led the NBA in steals six times and has already been named to the NBA 75 team, much like these other two players have. So uh, yeah, all of this is, these guys are no brainers, but I just want to give them their flowers for a minute here because so, so much of the way we talk about uh these guys, you know, especially Russell Westbrook now is in a derisive manner. And I don't want to do that in this podcast. I think that it's worth breaking down and discussing just how elite Russell Westbrook was, how elite uh, James Harden was, how incredible Chris Paul has been, you know, just because these guys haven't won a title doesn't mean that they aren't, uh, they haven't been incredibly, unbelievably, undeniably successful players in the NBA. Yeah, w- without a doubt. And, and look, when going back to those three buckets of st- statistical impact, the legacy that they leave behind and how much they've won, obviously those three are you know, a half step behind the others in, in multiple of those categories, probably no more than winning. As I was doing the research for this, Sam, here's what stuck out to me. All six of these guys we just mentioned have been teammates with at least one other guy on this list at some point in their career. Yeah. And as we move forward in this, I hope that that carries some weight in terms of valuing winning for everybody else, that we're going to be talking right off the jump from six first ballot, no doubt, slam dunk Hall of Famers who have all teamed up with each other at some point, you know, and even the guys that we didn't mention, the Dwayne Wades and Chris Boshes, who have been retired and are also no doubt Hall of Famers that teamed up with LeBron James for his big run in Miami, that having this much grouped success in the NBA makes it hard for everybody to be able to get a ring, to have that winning accolade on there. So again, do I know exactly how to weigh each bucket? So it's 20% this, 40% the other. No, I have no idea. I think it has to be on a case-by-case basis. But when we've seen so much winning be concentrated amongst the top six players and have them team up in order to create that success, I think it has to change the way we value, you know, finals MVPs and finals championships for everybody else we discuss. So we've split this next group that I look, I think that all seven of these guys uh, that we're about to discuss are undeniably going to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think they're all locks, but we've split them into the guys that have won games and have been uh, title champions versus the guys that have just like the incredible impact and the incredible stats, right? Uh, So this will get us to a group of 13, but I want to mention these next four. Uh, 
I don't think Clay Thompson would get pushback, right? But like Clay, like Clay Thompson is one of the best shooters of all time. Uh, he has only made the all NBA team twice, which is a bit strange. I think that that could be a situation where like, you know, all NBA voters maybe value guys that are the number one option versus guys that kind of fit into a, a winning ecosystem. But the golden state warriors are the team of the 2010s and, and like the, the last, you know, what, 10 years basically. And they have won four titles and he has been an undeniably culturally relevant player uh, within the league's history. He is 18th all time in three point makes. He's probably going to be in the top five by the time his career is over. Uh, he is a five time all star, two time all NBA and a four time champion. Uh, he is also a one time all defensive team member. Uh, and obviously here's the thing about his counting stats as well. They're going to be a little bit lower because he missed two seasons in the middle of his career due to the knee and Achilles injuries back to back. And he's still going to end up in my estimation, probably in the top, you know, five to seven of all-time three-point makes could end up higher depending on how long he plays but on top of that he came back and you know in the 32 games he played uh this season averaged 20 points per game and shot 39 percent from three and 90 percent from the line when he got there and uh he wasn't quite as efficient as what he's been in the past but i think we could still have a longer career from clay than what we've seen so far despite the injuries and i think he's a hall of famer based on what he's done already yeah, totally agree. I mean, his resume right now is super similar to what we see from Manu Ginobili going into the Hall of Fame right now. Uh, that they're, they're all-star appearances, they're all-NBA teams, the championship rings, it, it all matches up. And, you know, the, no one pushes back on Manu because we know he sacrificed a little bit in terms of volume and production on court in order to be a part of those great teams in San Antonio, that he moved to that sixth-man role. He was more of a, a second or third fiddle at most times. But... The same can be said for Clay Thompson. His impact as a three-point shooter is clearly definable in so many ways based on both the volume, the percentage, and quite frankly, if we're talking about impact, I don't think there's anything more fun in the NBA to watch than when Clay Thompson goes nuclear and yeah. scores 40 points in a quarter. To me, that's the most enjoy. It's, it's unbelievable to, to witness something like that. Uh, I don't think there should be any pushback for Clay to be a Hall of Famer. I, I didn't give it you know, much thought. He, he's in for me, no doubt. This next guy is someone that when I bring up the case, people get very frustrated with me. Uh, Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer. Like there's yeah. no, there's no question. He's a four-time champion. He's a seven-time All Defense member. He won the 2016-17 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he is a you know four-time All Star, two-time All NBA, much like Clay. Like in many ways the heart and soul of like a title uh run here with the golden state warriors and on top of that draymond green changed the way nba defenses run like he is almost as relevant to the highest levels of basketball as stephen curry is to like, you know, when you go to a middle school and you see guys shooting threes and pulling up from 30 feet, like Draymond Green and his switchability, his ability to play as a small ball center, um, his versatility as a defender, his toughness, 
it changed the way that teams defend. I know that teams have now switched back to more of a drop scheme, but you look at what's winning in the playoffs. It's the Draymond Green defenders. It's not, you know, the drop coverage defenders uh, by and large, you know, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, like won a title a couple of years ago doing all of this as well, but they're doing the drop coverage scheme and, you know, playing with Giannis as well, but they played small throughout a decent amount of that run as well. Um, Draymond Green changed the way that NBA teams defend. And he is one of the best defensive players of all time. Ben Wallace just got into the Hall of Fame. I think it's undeniable that Draymond Green has had a better career than Ben Wallace. No no disrespect to Ben Wallace. Um, I I think that Draymond Green, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know, I, I saw that, you know, especially Draymond Green, uh, you know, he got, uh, you know, uh, what, you know, like Draymond, I got caught up here for a second here. I'm sorry. Uh, Draymond Green mentioned that Clay Thompson should have been on the NBA 75 team. Uh, and a lot of people were very disappointed that Clay Thompson wasn't named to the NBA 75 team. I think that the second guy on that Warriors team that should be on that team is Draymond Green, to be honest. Uh just straight up, I think he has had a more relevant career in the way that uh, NBA is the NBA is played, and I think he's had a more relevant career uh, than Clay Thompson because of uh, just how impactful he is defensively and how we underrate defensive value league wide. Yeah, I mean, switching was a dirty word before Draymond Green came in and, and helped revolutionize those Warriors defenses and what he's done yeah. to to keep them there as his body has aged as. He's played, you know, with so many different lineups and, and different asks of him. Uh, he's he's definitely a Hall of Famer in that regard. You know, we're both draft guys, Sam. And what I continue to hear and see in so many spaces, who's going to be the next Draymond Green? Can this guy be a Draymond Green? Can he fill that type of role? You don't say that about somebody that isn't incredibly valuable uh, of using them as the new archetype for somebody that you want to find the next version of. What he does and brings to the table is not always going to be encapsulated by statistics. You you have to understand that when you're looking at a player like Draymond, not just because he's played with so many other Hall of Famers, but because that's not his that's not what makes him impactful. It's all the ways that don't show up in the stat sheet. And and he passes every eye test that you would ever want. He's had such a big impact. He's a culture driver for a championship team, which is incredibly important. I'm just Again, I can't understand a reason to not have Draymond Green be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and you know how many players have we been, you know, dis- have been discussed as the next Draymond Green? Uh, Grant Williams, PJ Washington, uh, you know, Albert Singleton here in the comments mentioned Scotty Barnes got drafted at number four because of Draymond Green comparisons. Uh, it, it, there are so many of them. So many guys get compared to Draymond Green throughout this process, and it's it's ridiculous. Like I, I he is a one of one. Like you, you can't compare anyone to Draymond Green because his basketball brain, I think, is one of like the five or six best I've ever seen play basketball yeah. just straight up like his, his IQ Draymond Green is not overly athletic he is six foot six playing as like a power forward center and he still is one of the most effective basketball players in the NBA and it's because 
his brain processes things on the court faster than everybody else on the planet, essentially, other than like maybe you could say LeBron, maybe you could say Luka Doncic, like maybe you could say one or two other guys, Nikola Jokic, certainly. Um, but it's just so incredible. Like he, he is. Yeah, I could go on and on about Draymond Green, but we got to press onward here. Uh, our third guy here in this little grouping of four is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was the best player on a title team. And if you go back through 1980, essentially there is one situation other than Kawhi Leonard where the best player on a title team was not a top 25 player of all time. Uh, and it's the 2004 Detroit Pistons. And I, I think you can certainly make a case that Kawhi's career was and still could be uh, on that trajectory of being a top 25 player, depending on how he returns from this injury uh, from this past season where he missed the entire year. But it just speaks to how incredible Kawhi is. I think a two-time defensive player of the year, uh, a, two-time champion. Uh, He is a two-time finals MVP. He is a five-time all-NBA player. Uh, He just is probably the best perimeter slash wing defender of his era. And then from there morphed into being the number one option on title teams uh, like the Toronto Raptors when he averaged 26 points per game, like the San Antonio Spurs in 2017 when he averaged 25 points per game, averaged 27 points per game for the Los Angeles Clippers in 2020. Uh, He is unbelievably good as a two-way player and uh, has earned all the accolades of being a Hall of Famer. Yep. I think he could retire today and make it um, regardless yep. of kind of what happens next here. And again, the one of the litmus tests that I found is five time all NBA that if you're able to make an all NBA team five times, that's a pretty good indicator that you're going to, going to be a, a hall of fame caliber player. Again, he's gotten that with two rings, finals, MVPs being a great scorer um, and, and winning at every stop that he's been to, he has been successful. Uh, that matters for something. Yep. Totally. Uh, the last guy here on the winning section is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Honestly, I think we probably could have put Giannis into the like six clear no doubters part. His career is just short so far, uh, yeah. but he's two time MVP, six times all NBA best player on a title team. Uh, and then a defensive player of the year award as well. He's done almost everything that a player can do in the NBA, despite the fact that he is uh, as young as he is into his career. Uh, Giannis, I think, is going to end up being a top 10 player of all time by the time his career is over. Uh, he is probably more like top 20 right now. But nonetheless, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, a no-doubter Hall of Famer, whose career just continues to get even better and better. Uh, he you know, set his career high in points per game this past season, averaging 29.9. Uh, he, he was absolutely unbelievable. And, oh, by the way, he did that while having to carry the Milwaukee Bucks defense because Brooke Lopez was out this past year for the most part. So, yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, one of the great all-time players in NBA history, a career that's a little bit shorter than some of the other guys, but a, a no-doubter, like, unbelievable lock in the Hall of Fame. Yep. The only reason I didn't have him up on that list of top six guys is just because of the longevity. I try to get to that 10 year mark to really feel comfortable with, with where guys are at. And he's buttoned up against that right now. You know, he's at, he might be at 10 years or going into year 10. So uh, no doubt with, yeah, he's, he, whatever he's accomplished in his career, it, it's statistically doesn't really do justice to the type of player that he is. He is the type of guy that, you know, when I have 
children and they're grown and they've never seen Giannis Antetokounmpo play. He's the one that you want to really be able to sit down and show those highlight clips to and say, this guy was jaw dropping with what he was able to do on the basketball court. Yep. Uh, okay. So this is the next group that yeah. is in based on stats, etc. cetera. Uh, Nikola Jokic, I think, is a no-brainer to have in this group. Uh, two-time all, two-time MVP, four times All-NBA already, uh, averages 20, 10, and 6 throughout his career. Uh, look, I think he's probably the best passing big man of all time. I'd be willing to hear a case for Arvita Sabonis. Uh, I don't know that I can be the one that can make that case necessarily. I've watched a lot of Arvidas. Uh, Kyle Mann and I literally this week were just like texting clips of Arvidas ba- uh, back and forth to one another. Uh, just Kyle. loving and enjoying uh, the entire experience. Like we saw a game uh, on YouTube where he was playing against Ralph Sampson and Arvidas Sabonis was like 18 and Sampson was 21. And Arvidas was just like catching him. Like it was awesome. <laughs> and that's the air that Nikola Jokic is in as a two-time MVP uh, in today's NBA. And he is, like I said, I think he's the best passing big of all time. I think he could probably retire and get into the hall of fame right now. Yeah. I, I wouldn't give that any pushback. I, I think the the nice part about this process is we've seen guys finally get over that hump and, and push guys to a championship level, which no doubt cements them in there. And the Denver Nuggets are going to be a great team next year. You know, if they end up making the Western Conference Finals or, or beyond, I think that that's enough to really just say, look, he's he's done it statistically. He's changed the way the game is played. He's the best at something that you can probably point to, and he's helped his team win along the way. I, I hope that the rash of injuries that they've run into the last you know two years in Denver don't detract from people understanding how big of a win pe- impact Jokic has on on winning basketball. Okay. Next up, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, I believe in terms of NBA scoring uh, in the regular season is ninth all time. Uh, If you count the playoffs, he's 11th as well. Uh, He is an, uh, what, what, like a 10 time all-star sixth in all in or six times all NBA. Like he is absolutely awesome. And one of the best scorers to ever live. Uh, there's no question that a guy that is going to be a top 10 scorer and already is a top 10 scorer uh, based on regular season uh, production, he's going to be in the hall of fame. Like there's just no, no argument against it. No. And, and those who try to provide an argument against it, look for every storybook ending. They want guys to be able to have this Derek Jeter like career where they ride off into the sunset on such a, a beautiful note and, and everybody holds them in high esteem in every single regard. Like the end of the, his career has been bumpy, but that should not detract from all that he accomplished in years one through 15 and how dominant of a, a one-on-one isolation scorer he really proved to be for such a long period of time. And he did it consistently. Uh, a lot of people want to point to the, you know, the lack of, of rings with him as a centerpiece and, and, and how far his, those Denver and New York teams didn't necessarily advance. But again, statistical impact and just being so good at one particular thing that really nobody in the world could stop him one-on-one the accolades that he's he's racked up are, are Hall of Fame worthy, and, and I'm not listening to much pushback on it. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, for a 14-year period, averaged 25 points, almost seven rebounds, and three assists. Uh, that is, like, staggering. 
(laughs) to average 25 points per game for 14 years. That is ridiculous. Carmelo Anthony is like a no doubter Hall of Famer. Uh, Finally, this last guy is going to get pushed back, but it's just going to like completely boggle my mind. Uh, Dwight Howard is a no question Hall of Famer. Uh, The fact that he didn't make the NBA 75 team is kind of an embarrassment to the NBA 75 team, in my opinion. Uh, Dwight Howard is an eight-time All-NBA player. Think about that. Uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green have made four All-NBA teams between the two of them. Dwight Howard has made eight of them by himself. And Dwight Howard is one of the most impactful defensive players to ever live. Uh, He is a two-time block champ, a five-time all-defensive team member, a three-time defensive player of the year, uh, five-time rebounding champion. He did get his title in 2020 when he was the backup center for the Los Angeles Lakers. But his career is the one that occurred in Orlando when, for what was it, like a seven-year period, he averaged 18 points, 13 rebounds, two blocks, and shot 58% from the field. He carried an Orlando Magic team uh, that was under-talented to the NBA Finals. Uh, he is a no-question Hall of Famer. I thought he, frankly, should have won MVP in the year that Derrick Rose won it. I thought that if uh, NBA voters at that time would – uh, value defense in the way that they do now, I think Dwight Howard would have won that MVP award. Uh, and he's he's just one of the most dominant players of all time in his prime. And his prime lasts longer than what people remember yeah. at this point. Like from a 10-year period from 2004, 2005, when he got into the league uh, until 2013-14. So that's a 10-year group where he played 77 games per season. He averaged 18 points, 13 rebounds, two blocks per game, uh, and shot 58% from the field while being like arguably uh, the number one option on most of those teams. The last couple of years in Houston, he was, you know, 1A, 1B basically. But Dwight Howard is a no doubter, like dominant Hall of Famer. And I don't understand why people continue to do this thing with him other than, uh, the fact that he's a polarizing personality uh, to an extent. Yeah. And I think there's also a little bit of like, what have you done lately for me in in a lot of Mm -hmm. people's minds, how quickly we forget how dominant some of these guys were if they don't have a gracious ending to their career in the way that they age and continue to impact and play at a, you know, a borderline starter, if not better level, then it's easy to try to cast them aside. We got to fight the instinct to do that folks. What he has accomplished is just so damn impressive. There's, there's no denying Dwight Howard is, is a Hall of Famer. I'm, I'm sorry, there just there is not. Yeah, like I, I get that he's like this somewhat unlikable presence to an extent, um, and, and that like people find him annoying, and he forced his way out of Orlando, and then you know obviously he's been well traveled, going from the Lakers to Houston to Atlanta to Charlotte to Washington to L.A. to Philly back to L.A. like. I get that he hasn't stuck around in a place here for a while. And part of that is probably on him, but 
those first seven years, those first 10 years are good enough to get him to the Hall of Fame based on any standard. He is, um, there was a point where Dwight Howard was one of, uh, the five best players in the league. Uh, like undeniably, if you look from 2007, 2008 until 2011, 2012, a five year period here, his finishes in the MVP award, fifth, fourth, fourth, second. Second is the 2011 year where I think he probably should have won it. And then seventh, uh, he was a consensus top five player in the league for a five-year period. The number of players that can say that, like Kawhi Leonard can't even say that. Uh, the number of players that can say that they were a consensus top five player in the league for a five-year run uh, is much smaller than what you think it is. Like, I think that Anthony Davis, who made the all, uh, who made the NBA 75 team, like he can't even really say that. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, we need to remember to respect Dwight Howard's first 10 years of his career as we go through and discuss uh, just how great some of these players are. But that, that's 13 guys now. Do you have anything else you want to say about Dwight? No, I don't think so. Again, I, I just, we all long for the storybook ending and having everything wrap up super neatly with guys that we view as Hall of Famers. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, and that's, yep. again, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That should not detract from what he accomplished in Orlando and make us forget how impactful of a player he was. Because a lot of times with these Hall of Famers, what you got to judge is their impact at the peaks of their careers. And he had a long peak and a dominant peak at that. Yep. I think that is dead on. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get into some of the other weird ones that we're going to talk about. Okay, we're back. Let's get into, you've labeled this section, shouldn't be a debate, but it will be uh, for some of these guys. And I get that. I think that there's quite a, quite a group here. So Anthony Davis, I think, probably could have gone up into like the Clay, Dre, Kawhi, Giannis group, but is like right on the borderline, right? Uh, he has won a title as the second best player on a title team with LeBron. He's a four-time All-NBA player, four-time All-Defense, eight-time All-Star, has averaged 24 points, 10 rebounds throughout his career while being one of the best defensive players uh, in the NBA. He did make the NBA 75 team. Uh, Yeah. Anthony Davis like is going to be in the hall of fame. I have no questions about that. Yep. Yeah. I think for me, the the one thing with Davis, I wouldn't consider his peak to be as dominant as some of the guys that we've just talked about in some regards. I think he's a a unbelievable Mm -hmm. two way player, Uh, but I would, I would say Dwight Howard's peak is, is a little bit greater than than Anthony Davis's. I would probably say the same for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and not to try to take away from anything from him because I still you know, I have him as a shouldn't be a debate Hall of Famer. Uh, but just kind of the justification for me for not putting him in that slightly higher tier. Yeah, and with Anthony Davis, the one thing that's important to note is in the seasons where he has gotten a clean runway with injuries, he has been a first team all NBA player. It it is not just all five of his NBA or all four of his all NBA teams are first team 
all NBA teams, uh, which says you are one of the five best players in the league. Uh, that is pretty ridiculous uh, in a number of ways. <laughs> like the fact that uh, he is a four-time first team all NBA player, that is pretty ridiculous. But I do agree with you that uh, his peak is not as high as Dwight Howard's. Uh, Dwight Howard is, I believe, a five-time first team all NBA player. Uh, and on top of that, Anthony Davis, you look, we just ran through Dwight Howard's uh, finishes in the MVP vote. Uh, Anthony Davis does have two top five MVP finishes, but I don't really think there's ever a case that he should have won the award in a single year. And I don't think that there is a case that, uh, you know, he is half as many MVP top fives as Dwight Howard does. I think Dwight Howard's career has been uh, drastically underrated if we're putting him on, uh, or if we're putting Anthony Davis on an NBA 75 team and not putting Dwight Howard on one. Not to say that they're both not deserving. They are. It's just that I think one has had a better career than the other one. Well, and Davis is because of the injuries. It just feels so much more stop-start in a lot of different ways. It's really hard to look at at his career and say what his defined peak is because he'll have one fantastic year and be healthy and win a championship, and then he's just you know playing forty five games the next year and really banged up and and doesn't look like he's operating at one hundred percent in the moments when he is out there. So, not really fault of his own necessarily. It's just we've got to kind of go on what these guys accomplish in some regard and, and the stop start nature to his health and, and how he's been able to produce consistently, just slight tick beneath the guys we talk about, but still the first one to bring up in this tier. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, next up, Paul George. I think I didn't recognize that Paul George is a six time all NBA player. Uh, before we started this exercise, Paul George's career has been very long and very uh, successful at this point. Uh, I think that for him to like enter that lock group, it would help him and Kawhi to lead the Clippers to the NBA finals this year, basically. Yeah, I I think it helps. Um, You know, where, where I struggle sometimes with Paul George's, those Miami Heat teams with LeBron and Dwayne Wade were buzzsaws in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. If Indiana breaks through once, and by the way, looking back at it, like Paul George did a lot of heavy lifting on those Pacers teams to get them there. If they break through just once to get to the NBA Finals or you know that LeBron dynasty isn't in South Beach, then this is a very different conversation we're having around Paul George. The other thing, too, is that I think that people don't really quite give Paul George a lot of respect for his peak season that was 2019. Uh, Paul George finished third in MVP in 2019. I thought it was like a very well-deserved third place. He was one of the three best players in the NBA that year. He averaged 28 points while being one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, Yeah, I don't... I don't know what it is about Paul George in, in that people don't really want to give him his credit. Maybe it's like the playoff P thing where like people think he's a little bit lesser in the playoffs. Uh, and y- you know, look like, I don't know, like even in that 2019 season, that's the, is that the season where Oklahoma city got eliminated very quickly by Portland? If I remember correctly, um, so I get it, but like Paul George is incredible and has been incredible. Uh, he peaked as 
one of the top three players in the NBA and is a six-time All-NBA player. That's going to be enough to get you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, and he doesn't get a ton of uh, flash because he's more of a quiet guy, a little bit more low-maintenance when it comes to media relations and, and has a very smooth-looking game. I think that because he makes mm-hmm. it look so easy sometimes, we take for granted just how impactful he is on both ends of the floor. And the other guy I want to bring up here real quick that we have in this group is Damian Lillard, six-time yeah. All-NBA player. Uh, whereas I think Paul George's moments are more the quiet moments of just consistency, Damian Lillard has been consistent but also has the incredibly loud playoff moments where he's waving goodbye to people like Spins just did. Uh, I think it's a no-doubt like uh, you know unequivocal lock that Damian Lillard is a Hall of Famer uh again NBA 75 team uh, has been a 20 point per game scorer since he entered the league if you go from uh he's been in the league now for 10 years he's averaged 25 points per game over those 10 years essentially um in addition to being one of the most memorable playoff performance performers of his career uh in of his era Damian Lillard is a stone cold lock. Like we could have, uh, I know that he's maybe not like inner circle lock, like, you know, Paul Harden and Westbrook, but um, you know, he, he is like undeniably going to get in. Yeah. I, I mean, you talk about the moments there when he uh, hit that game winning shot over Houston in 2014. I remember where I was at the time, you know, the, the yep. waving goodbye shot over Oklahoma. Like, I remember where I was at the time. Yep. Guys who can create those types of moments in the clutch while producing in the way that he has, there's something to that. I, I don't know how to put mm-hmm. a lot of value on. I call it the Derek Jeter effect, right? Like Jeter running down the first base line to catch that ball and flip it to home plate. There's things that are etched in your memory and you remember where you are when you saw them. I, I think that that's kind of who Damian Lillard is and has been. No, he hasn't won a championship, but he is also – a fantastic story in terms of how he came to the NBA playing at Weber state, all that he's gone through. You know, this is, this is a basketball hall of fame. The NBA has a lot to do with it, but I think that there's something really impressive about the way that Damian Lillard cut his teeth and and turned himself into an NBA player. That is kind of part of what the hall of fame stands for. The next guy I want to talk about is another guard, uh, Kyrie Irving. And I, I do worry a little bit that the latter portion here of Kyrie's career where he's become a thought leader, uh, quote unquote, and has, you know, potentially hindered some goodwill, maybe will get to the point where people will try to debate his Hall of Fame credentials, but that shouldn't be the case. Like, Kyrie hit one of the most famous shots in NBA history uh, to clinch the NBA title for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's a three-time All-NBA player. He's a seven-time All-Star. He is someone that, and I think this can't go underrated within a conversation like this. He is someone that players will constantly bring up as being the most skilled guy in the league, being like the best hooper, if you want to call it that, in the NBA. Uh, And I think that that absolutely counts for something. Like uh, unquestionably should be something that counts. He is uh, a... He is someone that oppose or you know opposing players, his teammates, other guys around the league. They absolutely love him 
because of his skill set. And I think that that's going to go a long way toward pushing him toward the Hall of Fame. He's an incredibly good basketball player. Incredibly, incredibly good. And, you know, I'm one to try to not let narrative get in the way of who, who somebody, you know, what they've accomplished statistically and what they're thought of within their inner peer circle. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up about what other players think about Kyrie. Cause to me, that's the, the biggest thing going in, in his, in his favor. I don't know what to make of how guys careers end, um, whether it's, you know, walking away on their own volition or uh, you know, the longevity versus playing at your peak for a shorter period of time. Cause I wrestle with this, a huge part of this exercise is if this guy retired today, would he make the Hall of Fame? And Kyrie Irving has all of the accomplishments where you should be able to say yes and the skill level mm-hmm. to be revered by his peers and, and others out there. But there's something so divisive around him that if he retired today, I think people would hold that against him. And, and that yeah. that kind of bothers me because, again, super talented hits all the thresholds that we've talked about statistically where, you know, he is a a three-time all NBA guy, a a seven-time all-star, won a championship and hit a a huge shot, played clutch moments there. Uh, You can have gripes with Kyrie as a person the same way you can at times with Dwight Howard, but you still have to recognize what they've accomplished and the greatness that they bring forward. Okay. So these next two, I have more concerns about than you do. In terms of them being locks. Uh, I think that these two are going to be debated. Kevin Love. Well, let's go with Kyrie's teammate first. So you give me the case on Kevin Love because I think that it exists and I think it's good. And ultimately me being a big Hall of Fame guy, I'd probably prefer Kevin Love to be in the Hall of Fame. But I do think this one will be divisive. I think it will too. Um, but here's where I kind of land on things. We talk about narrative a lot surrounding players where we want the narrative to matter about not just how they put up their numbers, but whether they impact winning too many guys that sacrifice to join teams that could be championship contenders will lose some volume in their career and not get the type of recognition that they deserve as a result. Kevin Love made the decision to to leave Minnesota and try to come to Cleveland where he completely altered his style of play and went from a post-up and pick-and-pop made somebody that was the focal point of an offense on the blocks to really spotting up, standing in the corners and playing around two, albeit Hall of Fame caliber ball handlers and guys like LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. But at his peak in Minnesota, the four, four years before he went there, he missed one of them almost entirely did injury. He only played 18 games in 2012, 13, but in the, the four years there during Minnesota from 2010 to 2014, 23 and a half points, 14 rebounds, three assists shot about 45% from the field, 37 from three. Like he was producing at a really high level at a time when big men weren't shooting it in the ways that he was, he was really bringing to the table. And again, I am somebody that believes that he has produced enough statistically to be able to carve out a career for himself as a Hall of Famer, as a two-time All-NBA guy and five-time All-Star. But I also don't want the narrative to get lost here that he made a decision to become the third best player on a championship caliber team. And 
that doesn't diminish the Hall of Fame talent he brought to the table, let alone how dominant he was for those stretches when he was playing in Minnesota. So even his eight-year career, uh, his eight-year peak, let's call it, averaged, and those, those are the last four years in Minnesota, the first four years in Cleveland. Uh, that is his first All-Star game make in 20, 2011 and his final time that he made the All-Star game in 2018. And he made five of them in between. 20 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, shot 37% from three, 83% from the line, was efficient, was a third best player on a title team. I think that probably is a Hall of Famer. I think it is. I don't know that everyone will agree. And there are a couple guys below that I would actually probably have him have ahead of him in the pecking order, particularly one. And I think that we should maybe move this guy up to this group um, in a second here. But I, I, yeah, I think Kevin Love is probably a Hall of Famer at the end of the day. And, and the other guy here is Blake Griffin. And Blake, I think people are going to push him down the peg a little bit. And I hate that. And he was so good from the moment he entered the NBA. He was the most athletic player in the league. But beyond that, he so drastically improved his skill set. He went from being so much more than just an athlete. Uh, He so incredibly improved his ball handling, so incredibly improved uh, his shooting ability to where when he entered the league, you know, he was a 64% foul shooter that like you would put on the line. And his second year, he made 52% of his foul shots. You know, by the time his career in LA ended, made 78% of his foul shots. And, uh, you know, he, he has always been like an okay passer, even from the time he entered into the, into the NBA. Like he was fine. He was like a three assists per game guy. Uh, by the time his career ended in L.A., he was averaging like six assists per game. Uh, his passing had become absolutely top-notch league-wide. Uh, he is undeniably uh, someone that, for me, is a Hall of Famer. He made the All-Star team the first five years he was in the league. He made another one in Detroit to make it six. Um Five times All-NBA. On top of that, much like with Paul George, uh he has a top three MVP finish in 2014, where I thought he was absolutely one of the three best players in the league that year. Um, I know that he finished, I think, second team all NBA that year, but it was just because of like the voting process where he was a forward and got caught behind forwards. Um, yeah, no, I think that, I think that he is a hall of famer, but people are going to push him down the totem pole because he didn't win playoff series basically and and that's why i wanted to add that preface earlier about these guys that are teaming up and kind of the dynasties that we've seen throughout a lot of the players we're talking about's career uh you know how much are you going to hold the fact that cleveland went one in three in those nba finals when lebron is there going up against golden state against kevin love uh you know if, if they win two titles it seems unquestionable that Kevin Love is, is a Hall of Famer. You know, Blake Griffin yeah. played on those Clippers teams that just came up a step short every single year in the postseason. If they break through and they make, not even win, if they make one NBA Finals, we're talking about Blake Griffin in a totally different vein. Winning is really important, particularly when it comes to 
the longevity of the team that's built around you. But I think winning is often equated to championships or nothing else. And Blake Griffin and Kevin Love have both been part of a lot of 50-win teams time and time again, year after year. They're as big of a part of that as a lot of guys who end up winning a championship. I'm, I'm really in on Blake for a Hall of Famer. Okay. Next up is Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler belongs in this tier, not the tier below. And here, here's the reason why. Jimmy Butler is a four-time All-NBA player who is still at his peak, by the way. Like, Jimmy Butler is awesome. He is so good. Uh, carried a Miami Heat team to the finals as the best player on that team. Six-time All-Star, five times All-Defense led the league in steals one year. Uh, you look at like through some of the uh, just all league stuff. I mean, like it's hard because he missed some games here and there that you would probably think are the reason why he was held off of teams, right? Like I would have voted Jimmy Butler all NBA in 2021, despite the fact that he played 52 out of 72 games. Uh but for whatever reason, the voters didn't do that because he missed those 20 games. Uh, it, it's just hard. And then you look at the way that like he led Philadelphia with Joel Embiid and like that team. You know, if he stays in Philadelphia, you know, does that help his career because maybe he wins a title? But does it hinder his career because maybe uh, he doesn't get a chance to lead a Miami team like by himself to an NBA Finals? Uh, Jimmy's career is one like full of decisions that in part he's made in part have been made for him, like move getting traded to Minnesota and then trying to lead that team. He led Minnesota to the playoffs for the first time in like a decade. Um, I think he is a hall of famer. I, I think that's where I'm at. Like, I think Jimmy Butler is a hall of famer. When I remember this era of basketball, I'm going to remember Jimmy Butler like very strongly. Yeah. So for me, as I'm, I'm looking at a lot of this, I, you brought up the voters and, and how a lot of these, you know, all NBA teams can get decided at times. What I struggle with is the amount of depth that there have been at kind of those wing positions that Jimmy yeah. Butler has played where, you know, we've already talked about LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Paul George, uh, Giannis. Um, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard. You know, these guys are to me, undoubtedly a step above a Jimmy Butler. And what does that mean for his Hall of Fame candidacy? Does that mean, man, you know, he'd have a hell of a lot more first-team All-NBA votes and, and the ability to get higher on this list if it weren't for all those other great guys that are around him on talent, on impact, he's definitely up there. Or does it say, you know, he probably belongs to be a half-step below some of these guys and, and not necessarily a lock because he hasn't been able to overtake them consistently enough in a lot of those ways. Uh, I don't know where I fall on that. I think it might be unfair to punish a guy for just playing at the same time as other really great players. But I, I, I definitely see your point there with what he's accomplished and, and the impact on winning he's had. I will definitely remember this era uh, of having Jimmy Butler in it. And if that's indicative of a Hall of Fame presence, then I certainly understand. So so the next guy I want to just bring up here, I want to I bring up a couple of guys here, but particularly Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I think Joel Embiid could retire tomorrow and probably make the Hall of Fame. Um, 
I'm not a hundred percent convinced that people would go for that, but like he's also averaged 26, 11 and three throughout his career and is a four time all NBA player. Uh, I believe has now two second place finishes in MVP votes. Uh, Joel Embiid is just a hall of famer. Like I have no, no real questions about that. I, uh, in my mind at least, but I can see him getting like dinged for the longevity right now. If he was to retire, he's not retiring though. So I, I would imagine that Joel Embiid is going to be, you know, a seven time all NBA guy that is, it's going to be a no doubter by the time he's done. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're projecting based on what he's produced thus far and assuming that it's going to continue into the future. Then he, absolutely. Yes. Uh, the longevity thing is always a tough part in this. Like when do we start having the conversations of guys moving from being really great players at a period of time to being, mm-hmm. all right, he's cemented himself enough as a Hall of Famer. And, and just with the the sheer years in production that Embiid has put forth, he's got to be on that precipice, if not on the other side of it at this point in his career. Yep. The other guy that I want to bring up is Rudy Gobert. I think Rudy probably gets in if he was to retire right now. Uh, Rudy is like not – it seems like particularly well liked among the player base. Uh, seems like players do go out of their way to like disparage Rudy in a way that is a bit strange. But Rudy is the second best defensive player of his era behind Draymond. I would say, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the second best defensive player of his era. I know that he's won the three defensive player of the year awards and he's made six all defense teams. I think I would probably rate them Draymond 1, Rudy 2, Kawhi 3 in terms of guys I will remember defensively from this era of basketball. Uh, and I think all three of those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Rudy, you know, they all do entirely different things. Draymond is like the versatile uh, help defender that like carries the defense on his back. Kawhi Leonard is like the perimeter defender stopper, like the... Um, you know, like, like just the guy that you toss on someone on an island one-on-one, hey, Kawhi, go get a stop, right? Uh, Rudy is the rim protector for many years, won these Defensive Player of the Year awards, and then it went out of vogue for a little while. And then Rudy became so good defensively that he brought it back into style, right? Uh, Rudy is one of the best rim protectors of all time. And look... I know that like people don't love him, but I, I think he is like a for sure Hall of Famer, even based on what he's done at this point of his career. And I think what hurts Rudy in some regards are two things. One is the narrative that hasn't been able to be debunked at the Utah Jazz the last few years of being a regular season and not a playoff team, which, yeah. which challenges the notion of winning. And I think the second thing that hurts him a lot are, quite frankly, guys like Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley in the NBA media who don't love his play style and aren't shy about bringing up that they think that he's a little bit overrated in that regard. I think that carries weight to a lot of public perception about the way that Rudy Gobert plays the game. I think he's incredibly, incredibly impactful. Uh, Agree. He's the second best defender of this era or generation, if you will. And he does have quite the kind of statistical uh, impact to, to be brought up with it. You know, he has, He's made, what, four-time All-NBA, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, six-time All-Defense. Like Those those are legitimate numbers to be able to rack up in less than a decade. He's yeah. he, he has a really strong case for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and look, like if someone's trying to compare him 
to Dwight Howard, right? Like the level to which Dwight was better than him offensively is pretty drastic. I think like Rudy's career high is like somewhere between 15 and 16 points per game in an era where uh, the pace is just much higher. Like I think that, you know, even the Utah jazz playing what if I remember correctly is like somewhere between the 20th to 30th highest pace typically every year. Um, you know, he's still only averaging like 15, 16 a game. Dwight Howard, Orlando was playing at a like relatively higher pace. Um, they were still playing like eight to ten possessions fewer, like you know maybe maybe seven to ten possessions fewer per game than what Rudy was, which is like you're essentially docking ten percent of the game that Rudy is getting a chance to play versus Dwight just on a possession by possession basis, production basis. So I, I just yeah, I, I think Dwight was pretty drastically better offensively, and honestly, like I think Dwight was a little bit more dominant defensively uh in the paint than Rudy was but it's clo- it's very close between those two defensively I think uh, I do think it is very close and and for what it's worth like I would almost consider Dwight's era and Dwight's peak defensively uh almost like a separate era from the Kawhi Draymond Green you know Rudy era defensively like that's how long Dwight's been in the league Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely true. And and you know, as we're looking back at our spreadsheet and, and the work that we've done here, like this is the point to me where I'm starting to tip from leaning into the Hall of Fame with a lot of these guys towards I think I need a little bit of convincing to get somebody else on here. Like Rudy mm-hmm. is right on that split for me of I can certainly understand the reasons why to put him there with what he's accomplished, how he's impacted the game in those ways. But I also understand those who might not be ready to put him in at this point in his career who think the, you know, the lack of offensive production is, is certainly notable, notable in some ways. Like statistically in, in an advanced area, he's incredibly efficient, but he doesn't do a lot of heavy lifting on that end of the floor. So I, I, I get it, um, but I lean towards him being in. So I, I've got 22 guys that we've talked about so far as being – Hall of Famers, and there will be some debate about some of the bottom ones that we talked about. Certainly not Joel Embiid, but you know someone like Rudy Gobert, someone like you know uh, you know Blake Griffin, Kevin Love. I think those guys will be debated. Let's get into this next group that, and you know what? Maybe let's do this. Let's talk about some of the young guys that are currently playing in the league as well. Uh, I personally think Luka Doncic could retire tomorrow and be in the NBA, be in the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he is already a three-time All-NBA guy who has been utterly dominant in the playoffs. Uh, if he was to unfortunately suffer some injury, I think he would probably get into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, I think that he's proven that at this point. Um, so let's even maybe say 23. But other than that, I don't know how much I want to dive into like the – super young guys other than to talk about them here like very quickly like jason tatum i think is you know even just from an accomplishments level just one step below luca right now um and he even feels like to me like i don't know if he would get in if he was to retire right now like he's only made two all nba teams he led the celtics to the finals as the best player on the team which is a huge feather in his cap, but I don't know. I, I, I think he might get in. 
if he was to retire, but like, or if he was to like suffer an injury, but I'm not entirely sure if that's the case yet. It's, it's tricky in trying to figure out and project in the future with those guys. And, and, you know, like the, the question of if he retires today, would he make the hall of fame? I think it always matters in the manner in which he retires is something taken away from him in terms of his ability to continue to play. Does he kind of, you know, Barry Sanders it and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it certainly matters to the degree that he's able to continue playing at that high of a level. And I, I also just struggle with projecting forward to the future, what guys are going to be like, how they're going to produce, what the impact on, on winning is going to be. You know, if that's a, a conversation that has come up a lot tonight, how have they won games? How have they contributed to championship level teams? It's mm-hmm. so hard to be able to project in the future what a lot of these young guys are going to be like. And, and you know, we brought up a guy like uh, Ben Simmons or DeMarcus Cousins earlier who, you know, got off to this unbelievable start and then you know, start to cool on their candidacy. Like Zion Williamson might be the best talent-wise of a lot of these young players that we talk about. He played like a Hall of Famer for one year, and then he doesn't play yeah. the next year. Like it's just, it, there's so many different things that can happen over the course of these guys' careers that I find it really hard to to dive in and kind of project from from this early of a. Yeah, like for instance, Demarcus Cousins. Like I, I don't see a case for Demarcus Cousins to get into no. the Hall of Fame. Four time All Star, two times All NBA. Um, the times that he made those teams with the Kings, uh, you know, like he just wasn't really, I mean, look, like I know that like he made, um, well, I think he made like three all-star games with the Kings and one with the Pelicans, but like these weren't winning teams. he was incredibly productive. Like he averaged 27 points per game uh, over a two year window, like that, that back half of the year with the Pelicans and then the year prior with the um, year and a half prior with the Kings. But I I think if he would have kept that up and not gotten hurt, I think that he would have had a real case, but the injury just like really took away a lot of what he was capable of, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, given the fact that he just like never really won before then I think it's a pretty hard case to make to try and get to Marcus cousins into the hall of fame. Uh, definitely a hall of fame talent, but just unfortunately isn't going to have the career that uh, maybe he, maybe he should have had to be honest. Um, uh, he, he really, I, I think is someone that it was unfairly taken away from due to injury, but I don't think he did enough prior to the injuries to get there. Totally agree. But again, that's to me, that's the tale of caution of trying to throw guys in this list in years one through yeah. six in the NBA. Honestly, you know, a guy like Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, they've already impacted winning in ways that DeMarcus Cousins never did. It's not an apples to apples comparison in that regard, but it's a reason to try to talk myself out of saying, Oh yeah, I, I, you know, I want to dive into this. Like I'm very red to jump into a conversation on a lot of these young guys. But I, you know, if we're trying to determine how many hall of famers are currently playing in the NBA right now, we do have to at least talk about the fact that some of these young guys will make the hall of fame. Um, Jason Tatum, Trey young, John Morant, um, Devin Booker, 
Jalen Brown, I think, has an interesting argument if he continues on the pace he's on. Uh, certainly, even the younger guys like Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards, uh, you know, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Darius Garland, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Bam Adebayo, and uh, you know Ben Simmons to an extent. Like we brought up Ben Simmons earlier, and he hasn't played in a while. But you know, Ben, the start of his career is real. Like he's a one-time All NBA player uh, who has made the All Defense team twice. Like Jalen Brown hasn't made the All NBA team yet. Uh, no disrespect to him, but like Devin Booker has made. What, you know, if you if you look at the career accomplishments of Ben Simmons versus Devin Booker, they are not wildly off right like they are both three-time all-stars you know one-time all-nba performers um but like you you would never even remotely compare devin booker when you consider the context right like devin booker has clearly had a better career than ben simmons so far it's not even a question um but like on paper ben has a case that he is building that will at least put him in this conversation if he gets back to that level with Brooklyn. Hopefully he does. Uh, But I do just want to acknowledge that all of these guys exist and that some of them will make the Hall of Fame. I would say maybe even like 70% of them will make the Hall of Fame. Uh, These guys are unbelievable players. Trey Young is an incredible basketball player. Uh, You know, Zion Williamson is an incredible talent. Anthony Edwards is an incredible talent. These guys like are absolutely unbelievable. Some of them will make the Hall of Fame. Some of them won't. We will see. Uh, let's get into the debates because that is where we haven't gotten to yet. We're an hour into it. Yeah. And there are some fun ones here. The one that gets brought up, I think, most often as like purely being on the line is Derek Rose. Because no MVP has ever not made the Hall of Fame. That's the way it is in the NBA uh, and in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. No MVP in the NBA has ever not made the Hall of Fame. I think that changes with Derrick Rose, unfortunately. Um, and, And I think that it is an unfortunate reminder in terms of what we were just talking about with those young guys, how difficult it is to project going forward just due to the injury factor. Derek Rose that year with Chicago was electric uh, and was unbelievable. He carried them to the number one seed in the East. And then it was all taken away, unfortunately. And I don't quite think he did enough before it got taken away to get him into uh, the Hall of Fame, especially given the fact that, like, the back half of his career, he's adjusted and become a good player. Like, he's a good NBA player, but he's not, like, a great one, unfortunately. Uh, He is someone that his ceiling was averaging 18 points a game while, like, starting – some games for Minnesota in 2019. Like that was the best year that he had probably. Uh, the Detroit year was pretty good where I remember like he was someone that people wanted to trade, right? People wanted to trade for in uh, Detroit kept him. But like the conversation was like, yeah, would you give up an end of first round pick for Derrick Rose? That's the kind of level he was in the back half of his career. Unfortunately, it took him a while to really bounce back. Even those like 
first couple of years, 2014, 2015, um, you know, and then getting into like 2016, like he averaged like 17 points a game and wasn't really in the conversation for all NBA teams anymore. Wasn't really in the conversation for um, any of this. And, you know, Albert Singleton here in the comments, like mentions that Derek Rose was John Morant before John Morant. That's a hundred percent right. He, he absolutely was. Uh, but if you, you know, if John Morant was to get hurt last year in the playoffs and it was all taken from him, I don't think John Morant would make the Hall of Fame unless he bounced back later. It's it's so tough because, you know, we talk a lot about if he re- would retire today, would he be in the Hall of Fame? Like if Derrick Rose just retires after his knee blows out and has that MVP, he almost has a stronger case to make the the Hall of Fame than he does right now by continuing to play yeah. through it, by putting together what he has over the last, was it eight years now, nine years since he tore his ACL? Uh, a de- over a decade, honestly. Yeah. It was, it was in the playoffs in 2011, if I if I correctly. Yeah. Or, no, 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 no. I'm getting old. Was it the playoffs in 2011 that he got hurt and then he came back like mid-year and then like tore the ACL in 2012? Is that right? I got to look this up just to make sure that I'm – I'm, I'm yeah. in on this here. Um, it was 12-13 he didn't play. So it was the 2012 play. Yeah, he came back mid-year in 11-12. Yeah. And then didn't play in 13. So it's been a decade. You know, it's been 10 years. And and he's been fine and serviceable in a lot of different ways for many different teams. But it's the Dwight Howard effect, if we can call it that, of bouncing around from team to team in the later part of your career that made you're less of a prized piece. It's the the lack of, or I think the time that it took for him to adjust to being a little bit less athletically inclined, which is what his game was really built on in the first place. But I also think there's no doubt in how hot of a star he was at his peak. You know, there was that thing going on on, on NBA Twitter a, a week or so ago, you know, ask your, your wife or your girlfriend, your mother, to name the first five NBA players that come to their mind currently in the league. And Derek Rose was routinely the first one that my wife thinks of. And, and that speaks to, you know, back when we were in college and, and we were a little bit younger, he was the next big thing. He was a legitimate superstar in ways that there was no denying. And I think that's part of what his ascent to MVP that year was about was it was meant to be a coronation of superstar in the league. And I just have no idea how to value the what ifs or what could have been next to what he's actually accomplished. Yeah, uh, I agree. And for me, it's a, it's, it's a no on the case. Um, You know, it sucks. Like I don't take pride in saying that it's a no, but it is a no on Derek Rose for me. Um, Let's talk about LaMarcus Aldridge. One of the most quietly successful careers that you will find. Uh, five times all NBA. Uh, he is very similarly in that conversation with guys like Blake Griffin and Kevin Love. And seven time all star. You look at what his counting numbers were, especially in that peak in Portland and then those first couple of years in San Antonio. I mean, I from 2007-2008 to 2018-19, so that's a 12-year period, LaMarcus Aldridge averaged 20 points, 
nine rebounds, shot 49% from the field, 81% from the foul line. Was a very effective player. I uh, made seven straight All-Star games. Like, I, I kind of think Marcus Aldridge is a Hall of Famer. I'm, like, if he's a guy that, like, doesn't feel like a Hall of Famer, but I respect the fuck out of the longevity. And I respect the hell out of the skill level and the overall ability. Uh, I think I would have LaMarcus Aldridge as a Hall of Famer. I understand that he does not feel like a Hall of Famer based on the totality of his career. But Adam Spinella, you have done some research into the players that have just recently made the Hall of Fame. And I want to give you the floor to be able to explain that. Sure. So as we're looking at kind of the guys that have played over the last 20 years or so and have been the non-elite of the elite tiers, right? Not the Shaqs and the Kobe's of the world, but guys who yeah. might have had to, to wait a year or so to, to really be groomed for the Hall of Fame and, and, and didn't have those, you know, multiple-time championship resumes. Chris Weber, five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Star. Paul Pierce, four-time All-NBA, 10-time All-Star, and a Finals MVP. Ben Wallace, we talked about earlier, five times All-NBA, four-time Defensive Player of the Year, just insane accolades on that end of the floor. And then two other guys that, you know, I always thought of as being the, not necessarily head-scratchers to be in the Hall of Fame, but I wasn't aware of just how strong their actual resume was. And that's Mitch Richmond, the five-time All-NBA guy, five-time All-Star. Tim Hardaway, five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Star. And it's really brought up this trend to me. If we're looking for that one litmus test, that bar to clear to prove that you are pretty much in the Hall of Fame in a lot of ways, it's being five times on an All-NBA team. And LaMarcus Aldridge clears that threshold. I think you said it brilliantly Sam he just does not feel like a hall of famer and and that's really hard to find the balance between what he's accomplished the stats meeting a threshold that I found from doing some research here and I just I still there's that mental hurdle to clear of he just doesn't feel like it to me and People might ask the question, both are seven-time All-Stars. What is the difference between LaMarcus Aldridge and Joe Johnson, right? Joe Johnson made seven All-Star teams. Joe Johnson never made an All-NBA team. Uh, You look at his voting shares for All-NBA on Basketball Reference, a great tool. Uh, 32, 32, 27, 19, 13, 26, 30. So outside of a two-year peak in 2009 and 2010, was more between the 20 and 30th best player in the league as opposed to LaMarcus, who was somewhere between like the 6th and 15th best player in the league uh, at his peak. I think that being somewhere in the top, I think somewhere being around like a top 15 player for a 12-year period or for a, you know, nine-year period even, let's say, in LaMarcus's case, I think that probably gets you into the Hall of Fame. I, I think that that is enough. I, it's hard because like 
I think LaMarcus was probably a better basketball player than Kevin Love was just straight up. I, I think he was, they were different. They played different roles. Kevin moved into being a role player a little bit. I don't even know about more easily because if you remember with Kevin, like it was hard that first uh-huh. like year and a half in Cleveland, it was very hard. Uh, and then he figured it out and improved and things got better. But he eventually did it and had the team success. LaMarcus never really had that success on a team level, but I think he was more talented. I think he was a better defender than Kevin Love. I think he was a better shot creator than Kevin Love was. Wasn't quite the rebounder, but I think the things that matter on a basketball court, like truly like make a difference. I think he was better. And on some level, like that matters to me that he was a top six to 15 best player in the league for nine years or whatever we want to call it. And to me, that puts him in. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of rationale to the idea of if you put Blake Griffin and Kevin Love in, then LaMarcus Aldridge probably belongs to be in the Hall of Fame with them. I think that those three yeah. guys playing around the same positions, having similar types of impact and resumes in, in a large regard, probably if you take two, you got to take all three. Well, and I think that, you know, we've talked about the idea, like three separate like pillars here, right? In terms of, you know, rating success in a career. There's the production, which I would say like Blake Griffin probably had the best like peak level production out of all of these guys, right? Like at the best point of Blake Griffin's career, I would argue he was better than Kevin Love and LaMarcus Aldridge. Kevin Love had the team success that Blake Griffin and Mark Aldrich did not because he got to play with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, that wasn't an accident that he got to play for them. Like it was a situation where LeBron and those guys in Cleveland targeted him because he was so effective and they thought that it would make sense. Then LaMarcus has the longevity mixed with like the production, but more just like the incredible ability to stay healthy and play in this game for as long as he did. I I think that it's a, uh, I think that all three should be in. I think that's where I'm at. All three deserve to be in the hall of fame. Uh, You've convinced me and swung me in a, in a really uh, meaningful way, but I, I also like, there's that huge part of it. No, stop. I've got to be the one that protects this a little bit and tries to make sure that there's some stingy rule here of like, I don't want to, just everybody else that makes a compelling case. I can't just keep letting them in, letting them in, letting them in. Cause I, I want the hall of fame to really mean something. And there's that gut feeling of me, like watch this guy play his entire career. Does he feel like a hall of famer? That's still a compelling tool in a lot of ways to be used. And, and I know there's a couple other players that we want to hit on here. I, I don't mean to steer it in that particular direction. Like my favorite player when I was ending high school and going into college was Rajon Rondo. And it's so hard to wrap my head around what his candidacy may or may not look like because I know how biased I am in some ways. Like watching him play on a nightly basis, trying to pattern parts of my game after him when I was younger, loving the Celtics growing up. To me, he feels more like a Hall of Famer because it had such a profound impact on me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's hard. Like I feel like I feel like Rajon's P 
peak in his ceiling was not quite Hall of Fame worthy. And part of it is that he was the fourth best player on the Celtics championship team, right? Uh, behind Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, all of whom are like, no doubt, are Hall of Famers. And then Rajan goes to other places, right? And he dealt with the injury, obviously. Like the knee injury, I think, like really is something that sapped him uh, in a big way. But he never really had the success outside of like that Boston run. You know what I mean? Like outside of like the Celtics getting the band together and having Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and those guys like he like it just never he never felt like he had that like ability to carry a team and then be an all star outside of that scheme in the way that Kevin Love did uh, as someone that was like a role player on a championship team that like we put in the Hall of Fame. Right. Or Kyrie Irving, like Kyrie Irving went and led the Boston Celtics. Right. Um, yeah, I just wish Rajon would have had more success outside of that Boston scheme. Basically. I, I think that that would like be the differentiating factor for me with him. Like if he had that, if he had had that success playing without like, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and those guys, it would mean a lot more to me in his Hall of Fame case, I think. Yeah. And I don't have Rondo as a Hall of Famer. Like, again, I'm drawn to his play style. I grew up loving watching him. Part of me is always going to be drawn to the moments that he was a part of. But, uh, I mean, two-time champion. He made an All-NBA team in his career, four-time All-Star, four-time All-Defense. And he's 14th in NBA history in assists right now. I mean, yeah. if I'm not huge on volume benchmarks really being in indicators for Hall of Fame play, I, I, I just I mean, points is one thing. I, I think that if you do that for a long enough period of time, it's it's pretty damn impressive. Uh, yeah, how to how to wrap my head around the, the differences in some of these accomplishments? Like, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I do understand a little bit of the case. I get the case. I can't quite get him there. Uh, Having said that, the next guy on my list here is a point guard in Kyle Lowry. And I think that Kyle Lowry for me does meet the mark. I think he is like the line for me kind of in the hall of fame right now. Uh, Six time all-star. Made the All-NBA team once, which, if I remember correctly, is uh, two more time All-Star, same number of All-NBA teams as Rondo. Uh, Lowry, to me, played a bigger role in Toronto's championship than Rajon Rondo did in the Celtics championship. Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time as of right now. Uh Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, those guys might have something to say about that by the time their career is over. Um, But I think he meets the bar. I think he is a Hall of Famer. You look at his career in Toronto, he was absolutely spectacular uh, on a variety of different teams, right? Like he was the constant 
on those teams. And oh, by the way, he was really good in Miami this year. It wasn't quite like Hall of Fame, you know, all NBA worthy, but like he was really good in Miami again this year as a 35, 36 year old point guard. Um, I just feel like he was able to carry a team a bit more than Rondo was while also being a significant part of that winning team, which is why like to me, Lowry is like kind of the line. For me, where I would have Lowry in, but I really will understand the case if you make one against him. I think Aldridge is the line for me right now, uh, and Lowry is not on the right side of that. I, I, I think for me, it it's hard to hold it against somebody for taking them a while to hold to find their footing in the league, um, and I think it took Lowry you know, four, five, six years to really become yeah. the player that he ended up being over the final 10 in the final decade of, of that time. It does drag down a little bit of statistical thresholds when you look at his career as a whole. And I also look at those Toronto teams, um, maybe not as adoringly in terms of, you know, what the guys who were there through both the DeMar DeRozan and the Kawhi Leonard era were really able to to do to impact winning. I think Kawhi is such a driving force of, of that championship and that championship team that while yeah. Lowry may have had a larger impact than Rondo did in, in Rondo's third year in the league, like to me, Rondo's best impact came in, what would that be, year five when they made the 2010 yeah. finals and, and lost in seven yeah. games to the Lakers. Rondo had taken that leap and had proven that he was close to being a part of that fourth pillar and, and almost as good at the time as the big three that they had in Boston. I look at that Toronto team and to me, it's, it's very, very clear that Kawhi was the number one guy in town. And I just, I'm not quite there on saying that Lowry was a hall of famer on a championship team. And, And that year, that run with Toronto is what puts him over the hump. It's just, that's really hard for me. Well, and let's talk about the guy that Kawhi was traded for, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I would have DeMar just a look. I understand that. I understand that I think Toronto fans would disagree with this. I would have DeMar very slightly ahead of Kyle and would have DeMar in. And. The reason why is he's a three-time All-NBA player. If he makes another All-NBA team, I think he's like definitely in. And he's like in the middle of like a career. Uh, I don't even know if it's renaissance, but like he's just still extremely good, whereas Kyle is starting to like drop off just a little bit. Uh, like DeMar DeRozan just averaged 28 points per game this year, which is ridiculous. Um, DeMar DeRozan right now in his career is 54th all-time in career points. At some point, and I've made this case before on a podcast with Nikias Duncan. Uh, if he plays a full year this next year, he is going to be something like 40th all time in career points, like right, right in that ballpark. The level to which, and by the way, Lamarcus Aldridge uh, like counts in this as well. He, he'll be 49th when DeMar and Steph uh, eventually pass him this season. Uh, The level to which the top 50 scoring mark in 
NBA history, his shown Hall of Fame, is actually like pretty staggering. Uh, number 51 is going to be Joe Johnson. Number 52 is going to be Tom Chambers, like two of the all-time, like, oh, yeah, we're like right on the borderline guys of the Hall of Fame, but like not quite there. And then you look up, literally every player outside of Pau Gasol, who is like definitely going to make the Hall of Fame, in my view, and is a top 100 player of all time, uh, every player in the top 50 of scoring all time is going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, or is a Hall of Famer already. Uh, that includes, uh, you know, Walt Bellamy, Hal Greer, uh, Gary Payton, Clyde Drexler, uh, Elgin Baylor, Adrian Dantley, Russell Westbrook, Robert Parrish, James Harden. Um, that, that's your group from basically 43 to 35, which is where DeMar DeRozan will be at the end of next season if he has um, a season where he averages 20 points per game, basically. You mix that, three All-NBA teams already, five All-Star games. I think I would like the Bulls to have just one more year of success and maybe make a conference finals, or I'd like to see him maybe make another All-NBA team. But like... This is just after one more year. Like if DeMar DeRozan plays three more years and averages 20 points per game, he's going to be in the top 30 all time in scoring. And like if he's in the top 30 all time, I think you have to put him in at that point, basically. I don't know. Uh, I, I I think he's in. I, I think he is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And I know that there's more to basketball than scoring. Yeah. I know that like team success should absolutely unequivocally matter here. But DeMar does more than just score. Like he's been a consistent uh, like five to six assists per game guy for the last five years of his career, basically. Um, Yeah. DeMar DeRozan to me is in. He's just like that small level above Kyle Lowry. And I know that, again, like Raptors fans will disagree with that. Like they will say Kyle. Um, But I think DeMar in the years in San Antonio and now in Chicago I think that his continued success pushes him a level just above Kyle. It's interesting. I I think of DeMar's career arc or can have up to this point a lot as mirroring that of a Joe Johnson, that their impact, their kind of who they were at their peak can be pretty similar. It seems like DeMar is continuing to be able to produce at a higher level longer what he's doing here in Chicago. I I think he was very underrated in his time in San Antonio. That's starting to give him the nod in that direction. I still think of myself as a, I'm going to hold back until I can't deny you anymore before I really call a guy a hall of famer. So excuse me Mm -hmm. if I'm just a little bit more hesitant on, on making that decision. But Again, Sam, you're throwing out some great, uh, great pitches here to make the case of these guys to be Hall of Famers, and, and you're you're swinging me on more than one of them. Okay, so in that case, let's go to Andre Iguodala, which I think is another fascinating one based on team success. Four-time NBA champion, one-time All Star two times all defense finals MVP, which is enormous, which he probably shouldn't have won, but they gave it to him anyway, whatever. Um, I think Iguodala is a no for me personally, but I will understand if you want to make the case. Yes. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm in the same boat. He's he's not a yes for me right now. Um, I don't know. It's hard sometimes to put it into words or put your finger on why you would say no to a guy, other than just mm-hmm. I don't think he's crossed the crossed the threshold for what I would consider a Hall of Famer to be. And that's kind of where I'm at with Andre Iguodala. It's not a statistical case that you make for him to be a Hall of Famer. It's one based on impact, on culture, on fit around winning. He does have some impressive accolades to his name, but that's not going to be what gets him into the Hall of Fame. It's for how he's remembered for the impact that he had on the, that Golden State Warriors team and just his ability to be a, a star player defender at the highest level for a time when you know he was being featured in the NBA Finals year after year. So here is here here would be my case against uh, okay. Andre Iguodala never finished in the top thirty in a single season in all NBA voting shares. Uh, so essentially, like was you know ballpark a borderline top thirty guy at his peak uh, in the NBA. And there's more to it than that. Like his Finals MVP award is real. Uh, his four times mm-hmm. as champion those are real. Um, I just think he didn't quite peak high enough in terms of like where he was uh, in terms of his standing in the NBA. Um, If he gets in, I won't like bat an eye really. Uh, I'll be like, okay, whatever. Uh, But I do think that like putting him in would lower the regular season standard of the hall of fame a little bit Um, to where that would, that would concern me a touch, but uh, if he gets in, sure, whatever. Sounds good. Um, I'm, I'm all for more of these guys being remembered, and this is a good way to do it. Uh, well, I, I personally probably wouldn't vote for him, though. Uh, some other guys whose careers aren't finished yet, uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, uh, both guys that have had uh, real critical pieces of title teams now, uh, second and third best player on a title team with Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is the favorite going into next year to win the title. Personally, Um, I I would have them at number one right now going into next year. So if they win a second title and that's like your threesome is Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, their case gets interesting based off of Drew Holiday also being, for instance, one of the best defenders of his era. Like if he was to make another all defense team, win another championship, um, two-time champion, five times all defense at that point. It gets pretty interesting for him, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it does. Um, I'm, again, I'm struggling with the, the cutoff point that we're at here of there's still work to be done for a lot of these yeah. guys. I think that that's where we're at with everybody, everybody that we'll probably talk about here. And, and I, I'm open to the yeah. Sam Vecini pitch that swings me, but Everybody left is, if this goes the right way, I think he's a Hall of Famer. If he wins one more title, if he can make one more leap, we're probably at that point where guys are compelling enough where this is like putting them on the Hall of Fame radar, not putting them in the Hall of Fame. Yes. I think that's where we're at with these guys. These are Hall of Fame radar guys. Uh, John Wall is an interesting case because his career is over at this point uh, outside of like what he'll finish up on. But like the peak of his career is over at this point. Um, Five times all-star, one time all-defense, one time all-NBA. I think it's just not quite enough to get in. He would need to like have some immense role player uh, 
inputs here with the Clippers moving forward uh, to really, I think, move the needle for him as a Hall of Famer. Uh, you, you mentioned Sean Marion here in the DeMar DeRozan conversation. Put Sean Marion in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Like, Sean Marion, two-time All-NBA player, four-time All-Star, one-time champion, was the second or third best player on that Mavs team, was a critical cog on one of the most memorable teams uh, of the 2000s and 2010s, uh, really the 2000s, with seven seconds or less sons, uh, was a phenomenal defender uh, all across the board. Put put Sean Marion in the Hall of Fame. I think he is a Hall of Fame player, just straight up. Um, But... Chris Middleton, you bring up the idea of Rip Hamilton and their numbers. I didn't realize this until you posted this. Their accomplishments are striking in terms of what they did. Both averaged, uh, Chris Middleton averaged 17 points, five rebounds, four assists. Chris, uh, Rip Hamilton averaged 17 points, three rebounds, three assists, both one time champion, both three time all stars. Um, I think that's the era area that Chris Middleton sits in right now, um, which is not a Hall of Famer yet. Uh, I want to mention Joe Johnson, who is still playing basketball, seven-time All-Star. Um, I want to mention DeAndre Jordan, three times All-NBA. Uh, th- that's like kind of a weird thing that happened in the early 2000s where he made the All-NBA team three times. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, I think that that's all we got, though, uh, in terms of everyone in the NBA. So that gives us... In terms of guys that I voted for, at least, you had a little bit lower of a metric. Mm-hmm. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Nikola Jokic, that's 13, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Blake Griffin, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, that is 19, uh, Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, that's 21. Uh, I said Luka Doncic as well. That is 22. Uh, Let's see here. Jimmy Butler is 23. LaMarcus Aldridge is 24. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry is 26. And I understand that those last two are going to be very controversial for people. Um, Then let's just say like some of these young guys get in, right? Like, you know, Trey Young, John Morant, Jalen Brown, Devin Booker, you know, Bam Adebayo, Ben Simmons, Zion, Donovan Mitchell, Anthony Edwards, etc. Right? I'm not mentioning everyone. I'm sorry. You know, I'm trying to move it along. Um, I think there's a case that we have something like because of the longevity of careers now, because of the way that things. Uh, the way that players have entered the league, the talent level that has entered the league recently, the way guys have improved. I think we have something like 30 to I'd say 35 players right now in the NBA that are hall of famers that are playing. And that's incredible. That's so great. Like that's awesome for the league that we have this many guys that are this talented that I think genuinely are hall of fame caliber players. The NBA is in such a good place. I love it spins. I'm with you. It's it's great to see. I think that this young crop of talent that we have, guys that are in their first you know five or six years in the NBA, uniquely talented and really poised to pick up the baton when this current crop of guys that we're talking a lot about you know, sail off into the sunset and, and retire. The league is in a really, really good place. I think the 
the best part about this conversation for me is being able to look back at a lot of those other careers in the earlier parts of where these guys were at when they were that young guy who was up and coming, Mm. who was knocking on the door for whoever the next guy was. Right. Um, that's, it's so fun to see just the trajectory of, of basketball over the years. I think I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old, so I've been watching this since I was four or five and Michael Jordan was cutting down nets with the Chicago Bulls to see a couple generations now come and go in basketball and play and hold them in such high reverence and then see that next group come in and pick up the torch from them. I'm uniquely excited about the crop of young guys that we have right now to really just run at a higher speed than we've seen before. And and the thing is that when we say like there are 35 ish guys that are hall of famers currently in the NBA, not all those guys are at their peak right now. Like, they're young guys like Anthony Edwards is not at his peak yet. He's not a top 15 player in the league. Um, Dwight Howard is not at his peak right now. Carmelo Anthony, not at his peak right now. Um, there are, you know, there are probably like 15 guys that are at their peak right now that are hall of fame caliber players like Lamarck Zaldridge, Kevin Love. Those guys aren't there anymore and that's okay. But I would say that the league is in an incredible place right now and I'm really excited about it. And Let's get to the mailbag portion. We're just going to buzz through some questions here real quick. Um, From Andrew Benjamin in the comments of the YouTube channel. uh, Does the hall need to consider longevity differently for international players who didn't have the standard North American NBA path? Embiid, Giannis, Pascal Siakam, all guys who only started playing basketball in their teens. My reaction to that is no, they don't need to change the way that we think about it because at the end of the day, when you start is when you start and it's just kind of all about greatness on some level. And I I can't really, can't really get past that, I guess. Like, I I think that it's just all about greatness and the level that you reach. And I think that as, the game continues to become more international. Uh, the, these countries and these developmental uh, organizations will catch up in terms of like guys will start playing basketball competitively, let's say when they're like 10 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think this will be a moot point in a few years. I mean, it's, it's an interesting concept for sure, but I don't know where I would draw the line or how I'd be able to define what some of those changes or, or asterisks, if you will, might be. Yeah. Uh, okay. From Stephen Gillespie, Stephen G Hoops on Twitter. Oh, man. Who are some of your favorite returning prospects this cycle? I will limit you to two, Adam Spinella. Who are some of your oh. favorite returning prospects uh, to college in this cycle? Uh, limiting me to two is, is a tough thing to do. Sam. So thank you for that right off the bat. Um, I'm going to go with two guys that aren't as mainstream first rounders. When I say favorite as in I'm willing to to buy kind of the blue chip stocks now and see them explode and get rich later. Uh, One Jordan Hawkins for Connecticut. I buy the tools that he brings to the table. Uh, Freshman year, he did not put it all together consistently, but shows a really good three point shot athleticism to get to the rim an intriguing mid range pull up, some passing on the move. And I think, be a really impactful defender as an athletic guy at about six foot five, uh, really kind of bought in on him there. I'll also go with Mike miles uh, out of TCU. Just Ooh, love okay. his I like toughness. It. I, I, I love Mike miles. Um, 
a, a winner in, in a lot of different ways. I, I love yeah. the way he played with Team USA and those FIBA championship groups. Was able to, to make some things happen. Really competitive, well-rounded. think he shoots the ball well enough to play off-ball from stars in the NBA, which is something that he'll need to do because he's not a dynamic enough scorer. But I don't see many flaws or holes in his game. I think he's going to be a really well-rounded career pro at the next level. So I'll mention two guys here. Um, number one, Colby Jones. For me, Colby Jones is just my guy. I've been in on Colby for a while now. Um, really love him. He was the NIT MVP last year. It seems like he really came into his own. Uh, you know, finally as a scorer and someone who can handle more on ball reps. Um, yeah, six foot six, tough on defense, good passer, legit playmaker, like real legit playmaker. Um, yeah, it's just whether or not the shooting comes along. He was 30% three point shooter. He's gotten better. He's gotten more consistent. He's gotten more, um, just, it looks cleaner coming out of his hands. Uh, I think that if that comes along, he's a first round pick. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to mention a very productive guy here that I think is like, he's been on the radar forever, but I, I really like Trace Jackson Davis a little bit. And the reason that I like Trace is that I think he's a really underrated defender. And I think he's a really smart rotational rim protector. I think that he's, he gets kind of tagged as being this like undersized center, but he has a really great vertical leap that off of two feet without really any sort of load up allows him to be an impactful rim protector. And look, I think he probably ends up being a second round pick. I'm not like making the case for Trace Jackson Davis, like lottery pick or anything like that, but I really enjoy watching Trace Jackson Davis. I respect the hell out of how he gets double and triple teamed every night and he goes to work and goes about his business. And I think that his athleticism rim protection combo gives him a little bit better of a chance than it does most uh, bigs uh, that are in this draft cycle because there are a ton of them, right? Hunter Dickinson, Armando Baycott, um, I've even gotten some Colin Castleton love recently, right? Like they're, they're all of the bigs. There's so, so many of them in this upcoming class. Dama Sonogo, like, you know, who, whoever you want to point yeah. to. I think that Jackson Davis's defensive ability and his leaping and ability to protect the rim gives him a little bit better of a chance to stick than those other guys. Yeah, I think his game is much more built for the NBA than some of those guys that you just just mentioned, if he can actualize a couple other parts of his game. There's definite raw tools. I, I coached against Trace when he was in high school. He's a freak back then. He's a freak now. Just a hell of an athlete. Yeah. Okay. Um, from D Meta 12, if Leaky Black shoots a similar percentage from three on increased volume, what is his draft ceiling considering his great defense? I believe that Leaky Black shot like 36% from three on one and a half attempts per game last year. Let's see how broken my brain is and if I actually got that right. Um, he did. He shot 33% from three last year, so I didn't get it right. He shot a little bit worse than what I thought. Um, and he only took he took one point three, so I was pretty I was pretty close. Um, you know, I was off by three percent in like point two three pointer attempts per game. Um, I think he would need to shoot thirty six, thirty seven percent from three instead of thirty three percent, and I think you'd need to take three or four three point attempts per game versus not 
like one and a half, right? Um, if he does that, could very well be like a high second round pick, I think. He's a really great defender. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal defender. Um, I, I would say that that's his ceiling, though, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head what you know the mechanics, mechanical fixes are that there would be, but if he ends up shooting a higher percentage, like you mentioned, from three, like let's call him sturdy black instead of leaky black. Sorry, Sam. God damn it. God damn it spins. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last question here from M E B uh, sixth in Juno on Twitter. Sandro Mamukelishvili had a great summer league. He's having a great Eurobasket tournament. A wonderfully weird offensive game. That's always been the case with Sandro. Uh, he looks like an NBA player. Why didn't or what didn't he have that would have made him a first rounder? And how much can a 23 year old reasonably still improve? I, I think a 23 year old can very much still improve. Yeah. Um, I- I'll give you the floor while I look up my old scouting report on Sandro spins. Sure. The first thought that comes into my head of why he didn't make it a little bit higher in the draft is scalability. I think he's a fine shooter, but a lot of what he does is with the ball in his hands. And what goes oftentimes uh, underappreciated is how hard it is to have a role with the ball in your hands in the NBA. I mean, essentially, you're doing this on one of the 30 best teams in the world. And there are two, maybe three guys who are deserving of that role in high volume on each team. So we're talking about a top 90 to 100 players in the world maximum that are deserving of that type of role on an NBA team. I think Sandro is unique and fun and creative and a really good mismatch piece. But I don't think you can figure what he does offensively into being a possession by possession building block of an NBA team. and. I know I had some questions about, is he going to be a consistent enough shooter? Is he going to be an impactful enough defender to really get himself to the point where his role adjusts to the NBA game? Yeah. So I had Sandro at 45 last year. I actually kind of liked Sandro and thought he was a guaranteed contract guy. Um, I called him. find a team that will be willing to take advantage of his ability to grab and go and lead the break as well as his dexterity and fluidity with the ball in his hands he needs to find the right home defensively with a scheme that can insulate him there are limited parameters where he's going to be truly successful but if the right team can unlock him and he gets the jumper figured out in terms of consistency he could be a legitimately interesting third big man uh, he can take a lot of he can take advantage of a lot of different mismatches in the NBA. There's a real amount of Kelly Olenek here with some passing ability due to Mama Kalashvili's mobility. Ultimately, though, the thing that will glue it all together is the jumper. He's really close to being a guarantee guy for me, despite the defensive issues, because the upside is that useful on off is that he's useful on offense in the right situation, but he won't be for everybody. Pretty good. Pretty much what he is. Um, yeah, I just think he is very stuck between positions defensively is ultimately the problem. Like, he is between the four and the five. He's worse than Kelly Olenek defensively. Um, I don't think he has much of a chance to defend fours in the NBA. I don't think he's really fast enough. He does care. Like, that. that's a big underrated yeah. thing. Like, yeah. 
he gives a shit on defense. Like I, I do think that like he gives effort. It's just that like he doesn't slide well. Um, guys can leverage him and really get by him if they need to. Um, yeah, I I just don't. I, I think he has a chance to stick for sure. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's an NBA player for a while, but that's what I've got. Um, I, but probably not like an impactful NBA player. I don't think very skilled, very, just such a weird fucking yeah. player. I, I love him. I, I love yeah. watching him. Yeah. He's fun. Everything he does is fun. Yeah. Oh God. Did, did Nick Curios just beat Medvedev? Oh, I don't have, I don't have my TV on. Did that happen? Yes, it did. Beat him in oh, four no. sets. Jesus Jeez. Christ, Nick. Shout out, Nick. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a – I mean, the run he is on right now, Nick Kyrgios. I mean, like, it just goes to show, like, how talented Nick Kyrgios has always been at tennis. Um, and as soon as he locked in for, like, a six-month period like he has, uh, he is now, like, the favorite to win the U.S. Open now that he's beat Medvedev. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, okay. Adam Spinella. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah. Uh, first days of school this week. So starting to get busy back into oh, the routine my. on that end. I'm ready. I think this this weekend has been fun and relaxing and having a great conversation with you here tonight, Sam, but ready to get back to work. So anybody who's looking for my work, find me at the box and one underscore on Twitter, Adam Spinella on YouTube or my Substack page, the box and one dot substack.com we are in the doldrums of the off season so throwing out there a few kind of outside the box pieces over the next week or two hoping to dive into a little bit more video as we get going here but just excited to be back in the gym at the school around young men on a daily basis and that, that really gives energy to, to everything that we do and, and keeps life uh life really fun and light yeah, I love it. I'm excited for you to get back to coaching, excited for you to get back to teaching. Um, later this week, I think I'm going to continue the run of writing about weird ball-dominant players. I think I'm going to write about Colin Sexton for this week uh, and just where he is because what a fascinating player, right? Like in an awesome situation to potentially succeed now in Utah, at least like on an individual basis. But in Utah, he's also not going to answer any of the questions whatsoever that people have about him. It's just so fun and interesting. So I think I'm going to write about Colin. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. This is, this is, uh, this has been fun, Adam. It's a little bit different than what we typically do, but uh, please remember rate review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show on YouTube. Shout out producer Jacob Carabazos. Uh, shout out, uh, you know, uh, everyone who helps support the show shout out the athletic you know go subscribe to the athletic keep me employed over there until next time though we will talk soon bye